Amen. Better is a single day in the presence of God than thousands in the richest of places here. Listen to the word of God as we begin. Reading tonight out of uh, the book of Proverbs, chapter 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Now go ahead and take a seat. If you are a visitor with us this evening, welcome. Welcome to Valley Christian Fellowship. And just so you are aware, this is now the third week in our series entitled The Beginning of Wisdom, as we have been walking through excerpts from the book of Proverbs. Now, tonight, before we really dive into our text, I'm going to possibly overshare just a little bit. You see, there is an ongoing discussion in my household. Now, we're, we're going to be talking tonight about the fear of the Lord and resting in Him and not being visited by harm. So as I was pondering this text, I was asking, what sort of way is this easily manifest in my own life? And well, I said, here's a poor example. There is an ongoing discussion in my household as to the fact of whether or not in the dead of night... When all is quiet, the house is dark, and you are asleep in your bed. If your foot creeps out from under the covers and hangs over the side of the bed, will you be attacked by a monster? See, there, there are those that agree with my wife right there, right there, right away. There are those with very strong opinions on this matter. Now, my personal perspective, I am scarier than any monster that might potentially be under that bed. I am man of the house. They must fear me, right? How dare those monsters try to attack my foot? My wife, not so. No, 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 on your head be it, dear husband. Now, I maintained this particular perspective for quite some time until, as the events of life would have it, we purchased a kitten. Oh, I see you know this, this story. I see you have experience here because last night, in fact, as it would come to pass, there was that inevitable night as my own foot creeping out from under the covers, sneaking down the side of the bed, was met with a very rapid triplet pat, 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 by a tiny, furry, clawed paw of our new kitten. Now, the details of my reaction to such I will not share because I would like to keep my dignity. Thank you very much. But suffice to say, our bed frame decided to take a visit to the dumpster the next day. Problem solved. And now I get to win the argument. There are no monsters under the bed. <laughs> Tough to be under the bed when there is no under the bed. Am I right? Yes, I am right. Now, if, there, if we are in the future to purchase a bed frame, this conversation, I imagine, will resume. And as for your own households, I leave it to you. Continue the debate. But as we turn our attention to the things of God, how in the world, Stephen, do you relate this to Proverbs? Well, our big idea for tonight, you should see it if you have your programs, go ahead and take a look at those. Our big idea for tonight is that the life or the fear of the Lord leads to life unafraid. But beyond being merely unafraid of monsters under the bed, we're going to unpack this text and really, really see what this means. The fear of the Lord leads to life unafraid. Now, as we get started, by means of review, if you haven't been with us through all three weeks of this series, we started out this series by examining what the fear of the Lord actually is. What does this phrase mean? And Pastor Mike 
revealed to us through scripture that the fear of the Lord is living in godliness based upon who God is and who you are before him. So when we, when we dive into this idea, when you look at the majesty of God, the creator of all things, maker of the heavens, maker of the earth, he holds it all in his hand. When you look at how huge he is, there is a sense of awe and reverence that comes from that realization that he is huge. And there is a corresponding sense that we ourselves, we're, we're rather small and weak in comparison. Yeah. But even beyond that mere fact that we are small, like, did you ever watch that documentary, if, if the Earth Were a Golf Ball, where it talks about the size of the Earth in relation to other planets? Great thing. Look it up sometime. We see that we are small, but despite this fact, God has revealed himself to us, little though we are, through his work and through his word. He reveals who he is to little old us. That inspires a sense of awe and a desire to walk in alignment with his ways. That is what we call the fear of the Lord. So going into our first point for tonight, as we turn back to Proverbs 19.23, the fear of the Lord walks in the fear of the Lord, or the godly life walks in the fear of the Lord. Read with me once again, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And we're going to stop right there for just a moment and unpack this, because we talked about the fear of the Lord and last week, we talked a little bit on life. We'll touch on that again in just a moment. But I want to focus real quick on this word leads, because already we get a sense of a movement, some leading somewhere. There is a path and there is a destination. Now, over the last few days, a few of the youth and I have been at a youth conference down in Vancouver. Great time. It was awesome. But Friday morning, we were invited to join in fellowship with these guys and go on a hike over at Molten Falls. Honestly, beautiful countryside, great place, fun hike for most of us. My legs are still feeling it. As I was walking on this hike, I was saying to myself, the fear of the Lord leads to life. Mm, there's going to be a great destination. The fear of the Lord is like a path, much like a hike. Now, I knew that in this hike, my destination was this great scenic viewpoint up at the top of this particular ridge. It was only supposed to be four miles. They described it, four-mile round trip. Should only take us a, a couple hours or so. It'll be a great time. Now, I get about halfway up this path, and I'm saying... <laughs> That's what I'm saying. I'm not saying much else. I'm, keep breathing. My dad taught me, breathe in, breathe out. Keep breathing, keep moving, go. And I get to the top of this scenic viewpoint. It's bright, it's sunny. There's Mount St. Helens off in the distance, sprawling hills, and I say, all right, it's hot, let's go. And we go right back down the hill. And I'm thinking to myself, left, Right, left, right. What kind of path is this? Why, did, what, where, why am I even here? Oh, oh, look, nice trees. That's, that's why I'm here. Fellowship, yeah, that guy. That's going to be our guest speaker for this conference. That's why I'm here. Okay, I remember my purpose right now. That's why I'm here. Just, just wait till we get to back down to the bottom of the hill. At the bottom of the hill, everything will be nice again. And you know what? We got back down to the bottom of the hill, 
and we reached the spot where we were going to have lunch. But before we had lunch, we went swimming in the river. And let me tell you, when my feet hit that crisp, cool water, I said, ah, worth it. Oh my goodness, that hike was arduous. It was the worst. Well, that wasn't the worst. I mean, Spartan races were worse. But it was difficult. It was a tough time walking on this path. But ultimately, the end result was absolutely worth it. And I said, what a perfect illustration. How coincidental. This is going to work great for tomorrow's message. I say, here now, the fear of the Lord is not an easy path. It is not easy to walk. It is often not fun to walk. But the destination is life. Now, let's, let's return to that. Life. Pastor Mike unpacked this for us last week. And he, he shared with us last week that the godly life is a long life, and it is a great life. But as we unpack that, since you guys, some of you guys weren't here this last week, let me take a step backwards and reiterate that the book of Proverbs is full of wise sayings that use general principles that, by and large, are generally speaking true for your life. When we say that the godly life is a long life, this, this implies that, generally speaking, a life lived in honor of God and his ways and his law is probably not going to be prone to things like violent outbursts that might lead to injury and or death. It is typically prone to or not prone to indulging in promiscuity, which in itself carries inherent risks for health and for, for relationships. The godly life is generally speaking not plagued with internal anguish and self-loathing and guilt over the consequences of sin, and generally speaking, is not going to be given to dangerous activities such as substance abuse, self-harm, taking one's own life. So, so while there are exceptions, and the book of Proverbs is by no means promising many, many years in your life, generally speaking, the general principles found in the Proverbs are true. But more than that, while they're not promises for our temporal lives, that is to say the here and the right now, they point to eternal realities for our spiritual life. And these eternal realities are steadfast. They are unchanging. So while a life lived honoring God may or may not actually have a high number of calendar years associated with it, a life honoring God lives in Christ. Now, we're going to unpack that in a moment. But what we see here as we move forward in our text, the fear of the Lord leads to life, life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. So we see real quickly here, the godly life rests satisfied. But what does the author mean by this? Now, the author is intending to convey two things by the language that he is using, a concept of lying down to rest possibly with your foot hanging out over the side of the bed, lying down to rest, and satisfaction, contentedment, or fulfillment. So the person who lives a life that is walking in the fear of the Lord, this is, this is a effort, a constant walk, not an instant like the fear of the Lord gives you life and now you have these things, but the fear of the Lord leads to life and whoever has it rests satisfied. Now, in study, I found two levels that we should unpack out of this in order to really honor the text. 
two, two levels, one on the surface and one deeper for our spiritual lives. And the surface level is that the godly life is satisfied with God's provision, with God's provision. God provides for physical needs. Now, don't take my word for it. Let's see what Jesus has to say about this. I'm gonna take you to Matthew chapter six, verses 25 through 33. It's a little bit of a text. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, by all means, feel free to read along. But listen to the words of Christ as he is teaching about anxiety and worry, which is the opposite of satisfied rest. Now, the words of Jesus, Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink or what shall we wear? The Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, I do want to make a distinction real quick before we move on that Jesus is not necessarily talking about our wants in life. In the Lord's Prayer, he doesn't say, give us this day our daily steak. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Sustain us, Lord. And so there are many things that we want in life, many things that are good, many things that are worth pursuing, worth working hard for. But in this case, in this sense, we are talking about the necessities of life. God knows every hour that fills your lifespan and he provides for you. So the godly life is satisfied with God's provision. We see three things right from what Jesus was saying, that anxious worry does not provide for you. By worrying, by fearing, by lying awake at night, you don't put food on the table. Anxious worry doesn't provide for you. God provides for you. The life-honoring God recognizes this. Life-honoring God recognizes the, the provision of God in your life. <sighs> but let's dig deeper. The godly life is also satisfied in Christ. Now, Stephen, how did you come to that? How did you come to that conclusion? Well, let's walk back just a little bit back to the fear of the Lord. If you haven't noticed, that's going to be my big thing. We're going to be talking about the fear of the Lord a lot tonight. I'm going to take you to Psalm 95, verses 4 through 7, which incidentally was our call to worship last week. Last week. Psalm 95, verses 4 through 7. The psalmist writes, speaking of God, in his hand are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. And that's where we'll stop for tonight. 
But I want you to see something out of this small text that the psalmist is, is, has written. There is here a sense of awe at who God is that has led to a place of worship and results in peace. Awe at who God is, at his majesty, his greatness, his size, his muchness. Awe at who he is. And despite the fact that we are small, he has revealed himself to us so that we might know him. He says, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. He has helped us to recognize that he has made us. He didn't just make us and, and forget us. He has that, that presence in our reality. And then when we worship the one true God and we trust that his words are true and that his works are good, then the next critical thing to look at is the rest of God's work. Not only did he form all things, the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains, the seas and the dry land, and us and all of the other living things that populate the earth, but we, in the image of God, rebelled against this great, mighty, and perfect God. We said, no, God, my will be done, not thy will be done. We sin. We miss the mark of perfection. We so oftentimes give in to selfish desires, to the wants of life. We oftentimes put ourselves on a pedestal, putting ourselves first, neglecting what God has told us is important, his kingdom, his works, caring for those that can't care for themselves. We neglect the word and the law of God. We, we are sinful. But despite that, even though we have earned the paycheck of sin, Paul writes the wages of sin is death. But despite that, God came to us in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. You know how hard that is. <laughs> we fail at it every hour. But he lived a perfect, sinless life. And then when the time had come, he offered his self, himself as a substitute for us, dying a horrible, brutal death at the hands of his own people so that we could have his righteousness credited to us. That is the gospel. We, the sinful people, we, the bad guys of the story, get the blessing of righteousness of Christ. What amazing work. And then three days after he died, he rose from the grave, demonstrating his lordship and his authority over life and death, and he reigns now on his throne. That is reality. When we look at that reality, the fullness of it, not just the creation of the world, not merely the woe of creation, but the woe of the rest of his work, there should be a sense of awe that leads you to a place of worship. And as we're going to see, it results in peace. The godly life is satisfied in God's provision. The godly life is satisfied in Christ. But secondly, we're also going to see that the godly life is confident. I now know, I mean, if you didn't know, now you know, 
I know the work of Jesus. If you've accepted this by faith, you can have confidence in your life. But Stephen, what do you mean? Didn't you say earlier, Stephen, that these are general principles, that crazy things happen in life and sometimes bad things happen and a school bus falls off a cliff. Bad things happen. Well, let's, let's take a look here. Proverbs 19.23, continuing into our third uh, clause here in, in this particular passage. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied. He will not be visited by harm. Again, didn't I just say? But let's look at another proverb that also speaks into the same thing. We're going to take these two proverbs, and we're going to line them up so that we get a clear picture here from the Word of God. Turn with me, if you, if you have your Bibles, just a couple pages back to Proverbs chapter 14. This is verse 26. Scripture says, in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Now, pondering this, what's the opposite of confidence? What's the opposite of strong confidence? Well, the opposite of confidence, let me tell you, is fear. If, if, as I was on that hike, there were times where if I didn't have confidence in my footing, I was going to have fear that I was going to slip right down that ledge. We actually had a, a short conversation about a, how, will it hurt more or less if you bounce more times on your way to the bottom? I conclude it'll, it'll hurt less the more you bounce. Because if you only bounce once, ouch. But here we are. The opposite of confidence is fear. So in order to really illustrate this, we're going to go right back to scripture. We're going to go back to a story um, from David. Actually, this is going to be the entirety of Psalm 3. Now, if you're not familiar with the history of King David, there was a time in his life, this is a king of Israel, the greatest king of Israel. And he is currently in, in this particular time of his life when he wrote this Psalm, he is on the run. He is fleeing for his life from his own son. Not a great time, not a great situation to find yourself in. There are people out to get him. His son Absalom has armies that are coming out to get him. David has every rational, realistic, very human reason for fear for his life. But let's look at what he writes in here, Psalm 3. The title, you see it right here, a Psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. But if you look with me or even just listen along, he writes, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Oh, see, this, this is something we can relate to. How many are my foes, God? There are people saying that there is no salvation for me in God. Basically, people are saying, yeah, that guy, David, he was a great king, but uh, well, I guess long live the new king because uh, he's doomed. There's no hope for this guy. But look at what he continues to write. He writes, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Ooh, this is a man who looks at God 
has a sense of awe that has led him to a place of worship. And he has peace. Look at this again. You, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. David's not living in fear. In fact, we see that confidence, David's confidence, our confidence is found in who God is. You, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. And then from the same psalm, we also see through the eyes of David that confidence is manifest, it's made tangible in God's salvation. Confidence is made manifest in God's salvation. David writes, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Now, we can, we can do something other than have confidence in God. We can have confidence in ourselves. I can have confidence in my, my ability to rehearse my piano lessons over and over. And I am going to be completely prepared for the big recital in front of all of the parents on parent night when I play my recital and I am going to just be the best that you ever heard. My confidence can be in myself. And then when I strut out there on that stage and the curtain goes up and I look out and choke... I can see my confidence was not in a very secure place, was it? But our confidence is in God, who he is, and his blessings. But now that, that leads to another question. What is God's blessing? Your salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. What is his blessing? Now, if you've been with us for the last few months, we recently finished a series on that very thing, on Ephesians chapter 1, reframing God's blessing. Now, that was a number of weeks of sermons. And so if you didn't get the chance to hear those, I definitely encourage you, go on YouTube, onto our Valley page and listen through those. It is a fantastic little series on Ephesians 1. But I'm gonna boil it all down to the really good stock in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Scripture says, in him, that is Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Now, this is just a fragment of a much, much longer sentence that Paul is writing, describing salvation through Jesus, through his death and resurrection. But the key thing to see here is God's blessing for us today is the completed work of Jesus bringing us into right relationship with God, the one who made all things, the one who holds the depths and the mountains, etc. Our blessing is in redemption. We have redemption through his blood. And then beyond that, forgiveness of our sins. We're the rebels. We are forgiven because of the work of Jesus according to the riches of his grace. We have confidence. Remember, the godly life is confident. We have confidence that our eternal future is secure. That in Christ, in his completed work, we have right relationship with God now and forever. What an amazing truth. We can have confidence that he can provide now but more than that, we have confidence that he has already provided forever. What an amazing truth. But in the words of my old friend, Billy, but wait, 
there's more. Yeah, you guys remember that commercial. Don't lie. Beyond that, the godly life lays a foundation for others. The godly life lays a foundation for others. Let's look back to that second verse that we looked at, Proverbs 14, 26. It reads, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence, and his children will have a refuge. Now, right off the bat, we see that the fear of the Lord, a life lived honoring God, has benefits outside itself. It is not just for you. My, my faith is not merely for me. My faith, your faith, a life walked in the fear of the Lord day after day is visible. It is an example. It shows your confidence and your satisfaction with the work of the almighty God. And so our first sub point, children have an example Children have an example. If your faith is visible day in, day out, if you are making God a priority in your life, are you in scripture every day? Parents, parents, this is for us. Are you reading the Bible daily? Are you praying with your family, with your children, with your significant other? Is God a priority in your life? Are you making the gathering of the saints on the weekends a priority in your life? That is visible to your children. Your children start seeing a pattern for behavior that helps them walk in godliness. Whoa, your faith extends beyond yourself. And that's not just for the parents in the room. That is for every single person in here. Why? Because you are an influence to somebody in your life. Whether it be your sibling, whether that be a grandchild, whether that be a neighbor, a best friend, a coworker, or just the guy down at the Minute Mart who packages up your groceries, right? You are an influence to somebody. And if your faith is visible, that influences others. It provides an example. But more than that, and parents, once again, let's really dial into this. Because if in the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence and his children will have a refuge, this also means that children have a safety net. A safety net. Now, now, Stephen, Stephen, as, as my dear old dad who's sitting over here used to say, there, God has no grandchildren. A, a, a parent's faith cannot save their child. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. What I'm saying is, when you are living a life that honors God, and it is clear and visible in the life, in the relationship with your spouse, when your child has friends whose lives are falling apart because of sin, because of substance abuse, because of faithlessness, because of unfaithfulness, and mom and dad are splitting up and I'm going to be moving to a different school with different friends and I don't know what's going on and my life is so chaotic. Your kids see mom and dad living a life that honors God and they can know that their present, their current circumstances are secure. They have a firm foundation here and now. Your children will find a refuge because of your fear of the Lord. 
Now, as we started out, when I was talking about that hike, walking in the fear of the Lord is not a cakewalk. We don't simply walk around to the music, happy, skipping, and wondering when the music's going to stop so that we can get a prize. I get the cake. I get, I get the carrot cake. Yes. It can be a hard hike. There is trudging involved. Did you know that people trudged? I learned recently that I can trudge. The godly life is not necessarily easy, but the reward of a life lived honoring God, recognizing who he is, what he has done, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it leads to life. That life is satisfying. That life is confident. That life lays a foundation for others. That life isn't afraid of the kitten under the bed all the time. It gets rid of that bed frame, let me tell you. How's your faith? Are you anxious? Are you fearful? Our society gives us plenty of reasons to be both of those. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Let me pray for us. Mighty God, merciful and glorious, you are majestic and huge beyond our comprehension. God, help us to see you through what you have done for us, through the person of Jesus, through your word. And God, bring us to that place where we are in awe of you. God, lead us to life. Lead us to a place of worship. And God, we trust that that will lead us to a place of peace, both now and forever, God. And in all things, in all of our lives, may you be honored and glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.